Welcome back to another episode of Coaching Falcons. This will be my second track and field episode, and I want to continue on from where I left off on the last episode on how I became the uh, head track coach at Perry Meridian High School, eventually coaching the boys and becoming the head coach of the girls. Now, as track coach, I had to be proactive and become the equipment manager. I took inventory of every shot, every discus, every pole vault pole, high jump pits, pole vault pits, hurdles, uniform, sweats, all of that. The purpose was to get some idea and let the athletic director know what I needed to help my program to be successful. The athletic director is very important to your program, especially track and field, because track does not bring in a lot of revenue to the athletic department. Most of the time of me coaching track and field at Perry Meridian, Mr. Holt was the athletic director. And for the most part of my career, I knew that things were needed. And Mr. Holt would be there to um, add to my success in my program. He wanted to work with the coaches. He wanted the coaches to be successful. All athletic directors should do that. Uh, That's a must, okay? Uh, Sweats and uniforms were given out to each athlete individually. And I didn't take them up before. Uh, each meet and hand them back out afterwards and so on. I didn't do that. It wasn't worth the time because you spend more time on handing those things out and trying to get them back. So my priority was to give them these sweats, give them the uniforms, and at the end of the season, collect them. If they lost something, I'd make them pay for it. Okay. Um, I didn't want the athletic director to do so much for us that we couldn't help ourselves out. There were a couple times that I saw kids that uh, would be wearing a sweat top that never ran track. And believe it or not, I mean, they would be out in the neighborhood and I would stop the kid and say, hey, that's my sweat top. I don't know where you got it, but I'm going to take it back from you. And the kids would freak out like, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know where I got it from. But I said, I need the sweat top back. Now, I can take it from you now or I can get it back from you at school. Whichever is best for you, I'm going to get my sweat top back, period. Just so happened in 1999, uh, Perry Meridian High School went through renovation. And that renovation phase... Um, I was able to uh, get the principal and the athletic director to buy 120 hurdles, brand new, uh, new pole vault pits, new high jump pits, and to build a pole barn out on the east side of the track so that we can store 
uh, our equipment, poles, pole vaults, uh, pits, uh, the hurdles, all of that had to be taken care of. You know, I've been around some schools and some uh, track programs that they would leave their hurdles out. And over the winter, you know, it's plastic hurdles. They're not wood anymore. Uh, they would crack. The, the traveling mechanism of the hurdles wouldn't go up, wouldn't slide up and down. So it was important to build that pole barn so that I can take care of those hurdles. And to, to this day, uh, the hurdles that we bought in 1999, they're still using them every day. So, And the reason for that is that I had to make sure that I protected those hurdles and make sure that uh, they worked and they were be being able to use. It's a literally it's a one time expense, but you know over the 20 years it's it's been more than 20 years now that we've had those hurdles and they were still using them and they're they're still good. We did have to right before I retired, we did have to uh, change the pole vault pits because they had uh, gotten older and. They were out of date because the IHSA had new um, standards for pole vault pits, and the pole vault pits that we had were too small. So therefore, uh, I had to uh, ask for another uh, $20,000 to replace those pits. I was also proactive in making sure that the hurdles were taken in and put up. I didn't want to ask the custodians to do that. That wasn't their job. I felt that it was my job as the head track coach to take care of those things. Once again, I'm not I'm wanting to be independent. I wanted to be self-reliant and I didn't want to put a lot of stress on the custodians because usually you had one custodian that was that was responsible for everything at the school. There's one outside custodian that cut the grass and he lined the fields. He did all of that. And I didn't want to put any extra stress on them. You know, some coaches can be, well, I need this done right now. Well, I never thought in those terms. If I'm able to do it, I'm going to do it myself. And therefore, uh, I would have a good working relationship with the uh, custodians. And once again, it would show that the athletic director, that they didn't have to worry about putting those things in. Uh, Mr. Holt was was great. He he was responsible for going out there and taking care of the baseball fields at um, Perry Meridian High School and at Holderfield. That's just one extra thing that I did not want him to do. You know, uh, he was probably stressed enough. And if I can do something once again to prove that uh, as the head coach, I'm worthy of uh, needing help somewhere down the line, then he would be willing to help me. That At least that was my thinking. Um, I didn't wait for anybody to drag the hurdles back in. I just, just did it because that was the thing to do. Anytime equipment was needed, uh, I would, um, if it was a real big need, I would always go to the athletic director and say, hey, I really need this. Uh, can you Can you help me out here? And, and usually they would say yes. The other thing I did was I did fundraising for the team. Uh, I, I wasn't a big believer in selling, you know, food cards and things like that. I, I just, 
if I had to be a salesperson, I would be homeless because that's just not in my DNA to be a salesperson. It's just not there. So I would do things like have jogathons, have liftathons. Uh, I would have kids to have their parents chip in, and we'd have what I call a discombobulation um, meet in which um, we'd do various uh, activities, you know, to uh, earn uh, money. And then once we got that money through fundraising, I would take that money and buy awards for the kids. I mean, this money didn't go to me. If they needed snacks for meats, uh, I would go out and buy the snacks for them. If they, uh, if they needed practice equipment, I would buy extra practice equipment. If I wanted to use a weighted vest for sprinters or a drag chute for sprinters or indoor shots uh, for, for um, the guys, uh, whether it was a 8-pound shot or a 12-pound shot or a 16-pound indoor shot, we would get those things that would come out of money that we raised. And then once again, uh, the athletic director wouldn't have to pay for those small items. And the AD would see that we're putting forth an effort to defer some of the costs, which in turn, down the line, if I needed a big purchase, then they would do that for me. So you have to have a good working relationship with the athletic director. You have to build some trust. Uh, you have to make sure that you take care of equipment, take care of sweats. If kids lost something, I made them pay for it, and then I would turn it in to the athletic director and say, okay, this kid lost his uniform top. He paid me the 20 bucks for the uniform top, and then I would like you to order X number of uniform tops next time once we get that money. Those were the things that um, I did to help the program out as well. The next topic is scheduling track meets. Track meets aren't like um, other sports. Spring sports are very, very weather-related, tough. Uh, in most spring sports, you will have... 90% of your meets and practices in bad weather and 10% or maybe 5% where the weather is good. Back before I retired uh, from coaching and the um, building of Falcon Stadium, the boys and girls track teams did not run together. I mean, that was, that was a blessing. Uh, if the boys had a home meet, the girls would normally run the same team, except it would be away. And if the girls had a home meet, then the boys would run the same team, except it would be away. Now, I think today the athletic director scheduled boys and girls track meets together. I feel, this is just my own personal opinion, I feel that's a mistake. I mean, having a... A dual track meet should not last more than about a couple of hours. When you add the boys and the girls track meets together, you're going to add an extra hour and a half to a track meet. And I don't know about other places, but track and field 
in March and April, and sometimes in May, the weather is pretty chilly. And for athletes, you don't want them to tighten up. You don't want them to get injured uh, because even on a, a sunny day, it, it appears that it may be warm, but it's not really warm, then kids will get hurt. And the longer that you have those athletes out there, the longer a meet takes, the, the greater the chance of a kid being injured. And at Perry Meridian High School, we don't have the number of athletes as like a, a Ben Davis or a Pike or a Carmel, where they have, you know, 150 athletes or people on the track team, and 125 of those athletes are top-notch athletes. I had a lot of kids on the track team, but I may only have about seven or eight kids that were top-notch. And so you have to be able to work around those kids and they have to do multiple events so that you can you can survive your track your uh, track season. The earlier meet is over, the other thing is that the quicker the kids get home and they can get back to their academics. Remember, Mr. Head believed that Perry Meridian was an academic school first. Athletics was not supposed to be that important. So it was important that the kids could get home early and then be able to do their homework, you know, get something to eat and be ready for school the next day. Uh, right before I retired, I had a conversation with the new athletic director and um, they have a problem of getting workers to run to work the track meets. Before, that was never a problem. You know, back in the day, I'm going to use that term, back in the day, um, teachers were assigned to work events. You know, at the beginning of school, the first uh, teacher meeting, uh, you had a teacher's handbook, and in the blue pages of that handbook, you would see your assignments, whether you're working track meets or basketball, um, uh, games or the spring play or the fall play or mini Olympics, all of that was in there. And under Mr. Head, you really didn't have a choice. You 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 worked those assignments. Okay. Uh, I was assigned my first day to work freshman girls basketball. I was going to be the timer, and I was the timer for thirty years. And Whenever fall came around, whenever the first games came through, I mean, I was a timer. And they tried to get me to work the books. I said, nope, I don't want to work the books. I don't want any part of that. I'll just be the timer. And that's what I did for 30 years. Somewhere down the line, we had a principal that, for some reason, stopped assigning teachers to work athletic events. Or maybe I should say, stop encouraging and assigning teachers to work the athletic events. So now teachers don't have to do any of that, which is a problem because now you don't have enough workers to work track meets. You know, whatever happens now, uh, the coaches are, are, are working the events. You know, the pole vault coach is scoring 
in judging the event. That's wrong. The co the pole vault coach should coach their kids and not be concerned about trying to coach and judge at the same time. Because I don't know about you, pole vaulting is kind of dangerous, and you need all your all their undivided attention to be with the coach working the pole vault and working with the kids at the same time is like oil and water. That's just my personal opinion. You, you should not multitask. You, you shouldn't do that because um, it's going to hurt you by not being able to coach that kid from a pole vault coach. That is, you know, maybe go up a handhold or go down a handhold or, you know, delay your kick up as you go and so on. Those things are, are precious to coaches and, for some reason, now they just don't do that because they put the boys and girls track meets together. And if you have 75 girls, 75 guys, and each one of them should get a, a, a time. And let's add that times two schools. So you're thinking, you know, almost 300 kids are going to be involved. That's going to take a long time. You may start the track meet at 5 o'clock and the meet not in until a quarter to 9 or 9.30, depending on the weather. Okay? So um, I mentioned earlier that, you know, every kid should get a time or distance. You don't practice all week and, and work really hard, and then when you get to the meet, Someone says, well, we're only scoring the top three, first, second, and third place, or first, second, and fourth place, and there's eight lanes. Well, that tells you that you don't give a crap about the other athletes that are running, and that's wrong. You know, everybody should get their time. Everybody should be able to get personal best, improve. So that's what we have to do, and that's what I feel that they should do, and I think at Perry Meridian, they've kind of gotten away from that because, you know, they put the boys and girls track meets together. And I, I personally feel that that's a mistake. I wish they would go back to the way it was before. When the boys are home, the girls are away. The girls are home, the boys are away. You'll still have the same number of judges and people working the events. You're not adding anything to them. You're just lessening the number of kids that are going to be out there competing, which means the track meet's going to go faster. And then once the track meet goes faster, they can get home, do their homework, and be an academic person, for sure. A few things have happened that I just want to tell you about the length of a, a track meet. The, the biggest and the longest track meet I've ever been involved with uh, was the first ever Conference Indiana track meet that was held at Indiana University. Now, Conference Indiana is the, the sports conference that Perry Meridian and Southport, uh, Bloomington Schools, Bloomington North, Bloomington South, um, Columbus North, Columbus, um, yeah, Columbus North, I think, think um, I think Martinsville was in there 
in a time. I just don't remember all of them. Pike was part of it. Lawrence Central was part of it. And later on, because a few schools moved out of it, Franklin Central was part of Conference Indiana. So there were 10 schools in the first ever track meet that was held at um, conference track meet that was held at uh, IU's track field. It was the longest. Oh, my goodness. It was long. And, you know, when we left Perry to get there, the meet was supposed to start at around six o'clock. So we left Perry uh, at around four o'clock and it was raining. And as a matter of fact, it, it rained the entire meet. Didn't rain a little bit. It rained hard for the entire meet. Now, at that time, teachers were given a key fob to allow you to get in and out of the school. Coaches were given a key fob that will allow you to get in and out of the school. However, there was a time limit on when you could enter the building and when the key fob literally shut down where you could not enter the building. That time frame was from 5 a.m. You could enter the building at 5 a.m. And then the key fob wouldn't let you in the building after 11 p.m. Well, during the conference meet, it rained so hard that you could not see runners on different parts of the track. You know, sitting on the visitor's side, on the far side of the track, I could literally see kids running through a cloud. They would show up and then they would disappear in a rain shower, come around the curve, and then it would be sunny again, and they would run, and they would disappear again. And they did that for the entire track, the entire track meet, that is. The timing system, it rained so hard, the timing system failed. The meet itself did not end until nearly midnight. It started around 6, and it ended around midnight. Well, Luckily, it was warm and uh, there was no lightning, so we could continue to uh, run the meet. I mean, we're, we run on an all-weather track. So the meet ended. We got our awards. We loaded up the kids on the bus, and they were all soaked. They all were, you know, like wet rats. And we headed back to Paramaridian, and we got back about 1.15 in the morning. Uh, I had um, tried to get in, and of course, the key fob wouldn't work. I mean, we were locked out. There was, because it shut off at 11 p.m. So after eight hours, we walked around the building. Coach Thornton, you know, went around looking for possible ways to break into the school. And I called the assistant principal at that time at about 1.30 a.m. So I had to wake her up. She contacted the Perry Township. She contacted the Perry Township uh, police officers, and then they had to come in and let us in. 
But before they got there, before they got there, Coach Thornton was able to jimmy a door open, and we were able to get into the building. The kids got into the locker room, and then the kids were able to go home. But this was almost at at 2 o'clock in the morning. So the next Monday, after waking up the assistant principal at 1.30 in the morning, and I know that she didn't want to be woken up again, uh, that Monday I had 24 access to the building and the locker room. So there was not going to be any other days in which I was going to wake her up. And at that point, we were able to get into uh, the school, get the kids home, and get them back, uh, get them back home safely. Oh, the the other issue that deals with one thing that people don't think of as being a coach is that you, as the coach, you are responsible for getting those kids back home. You know, you have fifty or sixty kids; you're responsible for their safety. Well, it's tough that you have that responsibility and um, for the most part parents trust you and over the you know 30 years or 20 some years that I coached track and field that nothing really uh, bad happened that kids were hurt and so on and there were minor incidents and stuff like that but you know it's just different it's just different being in charge of um a sport, and you're responsible for that number of kids. Well, I tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of conclude this episode, and just to give you some ideas of the things that I did after becoming the head coach, and to uh, give you a flavor on things I had to look for. Um, in the in the next episode, what I'm gonna do is that I'm gonna tell some stories. Uh, from the track, uh, some some things that happened that were unique and things that sometimes were comical, sometimes scary, but just talk about you know some of the things that happened um, as as my years as the head track coach of Paramaridian. Some stories from the track. That's what I'm going to call the call the next episode. So, all right, uh, Coach and Falcon fans, uh, that's that's it for this episode. Uh, this is Coach Jay. Uh, I'm going to try to get some other athletes on, some track athletes, to uh, join me in, in some of the future episodes that I cover that, that deal with track and field. All right, thank you, and uh, you have a good one, and keep moving forward.